Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. The real reason for Republicans' silence on Donald Trump, speculates the editorial board in the New York Times today, over at the Washington Post, the morning plum is uh, talking about the supposed showdown between populist economic nationalism on one side and limited government conservatism, free trade, and internationalism on the other. This, this would be the war within the Republican Party. But what they're suggesting is that this is really about autocracy. It's really about, you know, being the big tough guy, be the, 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 this, the, the authoritarian. In fact, the title of it by Greg Sargent is the Trump authoritarian cult. But there's not just the authoritarian cult. You know, we talked about that at some length yesterday, actually, talking about the Marburg speech and whatnot. But this piece by the editorial board in today's New York Times is extraordinary. I keep talking about how our media, our for-profit, corporate, largely consolidated and monopolized media, cover only two out of the three aspects of news. One aspect of news is drama, right? Uh, if you show up at the, at the, you know, the, the, the crash, uh, you show up at 9-11 and you, you stick a microphone in some poor widow or widower's face and say, how do you feel, right? There's drama. That's part of news. And then there's the sports part of news. Who's winning? Who's losing? All right. Again, 9-11. Hey, are the terrorists ahead of us? Are we behind? Are we ahead of them? You know, what politician is going to make the most out of this? How is it going to play? Part of that is drama. Part of it is sports. But then the third part of news is the facts, the actual details of what's going on. And our news media has largely decided to sacrifice facts. For example, you know, the night before last, the Senate at uh, 10 o'clock at night had this vote to prevent you and me from engaging in class action lawsuits against banks. And well, not just banks, by the way, it goes way beyond that. But the bankers were the ones who were pretty particularly flipped out about it. So, you know, if, if, if Wells Fargo right now, if Wells Fargo opens 
an account without telling you and does that to say a million people and makes 10 bucks a month off it for a year, that's $120 that you spent that you didn't know was being taken out of your account. You got ripped off to the tune of 120 bucks in this example. And it's a hypothetical, but you know, for example. Now, but you're not gonna hire a lawyer for $120. But if a million people got screwed by Wells Fargo, then you know, a lawyer could sue Wells Fargo for that $120 million on behalf of all that million people and then distribute the 120 to each one of them. And now you've got an actual lawsuit, right? Well, the, the House has already voted on this, the Senate voted on it the night before last to make that illegal, to make it illegal for you to exercise your Seventh Amendment rights if your bank was able to force you, and make no mistake about it, there's an element of coercion here, into signing an agreement with a forced arbitration clause in it, into signing a mortgage, into signing a credit card agreement, into signing a line of credit with forced arbitration built into it, whatever it may be. Sorry, you can tell Blue's in the studio today. And, and <laughs> so, so what is it that the Republican Party is actually up to? What the Republican Party is up to is basically devastating the American middle class, the American working class, the American biosphere, our air, our water, our food supply, devastating all those things in exchange for more profit for corporations, more tax breaks for billionaires, more money for the very wealthy, the people who own the Republican Party. And the New York Times today put together a pretty good list of it. And I'm curious, if, if you were to put together a list, what are the things that the Republicans are doing right now that concern you the most? All right, the thing that, frankly, that concerns me the most, and I'm going to share with you parts of this New York Times list, but I think that most of this falls under a larger category, and that is politicians who are owned by wealthy people or by industries. When you have politicians that are owned by billionaires or by industries, then those politicians are not going to do the interest of the American people. They're not going to do what you need to have done. They're not going to do what I need to have done. They're not going to do what the average American needs to have done. They're going to do what needs to be what the what the billionaires and the and the big corporations want. And they are, as the New York Times points out, this is the real reason why Republicans are not taking on Donald Trump, because he's actually getting stuff done for them. And the, this is by the editorial board, by the way. This is not an, you know, an individual liberal at the New York Times. You've got conservatives, you've got liberals, you've got the, you know, the whole spectrum in the editorial board, the New York Times. And, and when they achieve a consensus, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. And here it is. On Tuesday night, the Senate, with a tie-breaking vote from Vice President Mike Pence, followed the House in voting to overturn a rule that would have allowed consumers to file class action lawsuits against banks and other financial institutions rather than be forced to take their disputes to arbitration. So that's, that's one I already shared with you. Number two, Mr. Trump signed an executive order allowing insurers to sell skimpy health insurance plans that do not protect people with pre-existing conditions and that will destabilize the Affordable Care Act's marketplaces. He also said he'd stop making payments to insurers that were authorized in the 2010 law that will cause companies to increase premiums, hurting middle-class families. His administration shortened the open enrollment period when people can buy insurance policies for next year and slash spending on advertising and outreach efforts. These are, this is just like bullet point, you know, step by step by step. Here's the stuff that Trump is doing to screw, to screw you.
to, to screw with average Americans and to benefit the billionaires who don't want to be paying that 3.9% additional tax on capital gains to fund Obamacare. Environmental harm. Here's what the Republic, here's what the Trump administration is doing right now to help the billionaires who own polluting factories while they're, while they're hurting you. Congress overturned a rule restricting the ability of coal companies to dump their mining debris into streams and other waterways, threatening rural communities, forests, and wildlife, writes the editorial board of the New York Times. And then they take on Scott Pruitt, pointing out that he rejected a staff recommendation to ban the pesticide chlorpiferous, if I'm saying that right, which has been linked to developmental problems in children, and started the process to overturn the Clean Power Plan, the Obama-era proposal to reduce planet warming emissions from power plants. So you've got Scott Pruitt over at the EPA doing the bidding of the fossil fuel industry. Hurting workers, Congress repealed an Obama-era rule that would have required companies seeking federal contracts of a half million dollars or more to disclose and fix serious labor and safety violations. You get this? The Republicans actually passed a law saying that if your company is bidding for federal jobs and you have serious labor and safety violations in the workplace, that's just fine. You don't have to correct those. You are banned from, from getting a federal contract. You don't have to fix the workplace. It used to be that uh, employers were required to keep five years worth of records of, of on-the-job injuries. They couldn't hide that information. The Republicans said, nah, you can hide the information now. It's amazing. The Education Department has delayed implementation of an Obama-era rule to ensure that for-profit colleges were preparing students for good jobs. <laughs> you'd, you'd, now you can just run a scam college, right? No, no standards, no regulations. They want to make it harder for state and local governments to create, create retirement accounts for workers whose employers didn't provide for 401ks. Making housing less affordable, helping big corporations, putting lives at risk. I mean, these are the categories. I haven't gone through all the details yet. It's amazing. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So what are the things that concern you the most about Donald Trump and his administration? Back with your calls, Ed. So... We're talking about the, what the Republicans have been doing. Congress repealed an SEC rule, for example. It used to be that it was illegal if you ran a mining company or an oil company to bribe foreign governments. And you had to keep documents about the payments that were being made to foreign governments. Well, that, that got blown up. That's changed. Under the direction of a Trump appointee, the FCC has eased the cap on how many local TV stations can be owned by an individual corporation. They also, just day before yesterday, did away with the rule that stations have have to have a local office you know, in the community where the, where the radio, this is radio stations, where the radio stations is, is uh, located. The Department of Education has delayed implementation of a, of a, of a rule that required that for-profit colleges that get federal funding. Now, that in and of itself is bizarre, but that, of course, obviously is you know, one of the reasons why Trump started Trump University. Hey, there's federal funds out there and we can get them for for-profit colleges. Well, it used to be that there was this metric that they had to meet. The for-profit colleges had to demonstrate that they were actually helping, that they were actually training people for jobs, that, that people were actually learning useful job skills. 
And that ain't happening. Right? That ain't happening at all. Uh, well, it is happening in some schools, but the, 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 the requirement that they document this, that they prove before they get the federal money, that they prove that they're actually serving their customers, the Republicans just eliminated that requirement. This is, the, this is one of the things that I find so amazing, is the state of the, of the news about the news and the state of commentary on it. I told you, you know, a couple of days ago, Louise and I drove out to, uh, to Camas to, to, a, to a restaurant that we wanted to visit. And, you know, we had some planning stuff we had to do, and we were just going to sit down and, you know, spend an hour just sitting there and doing it. And uh, on the way to the restaurant, we're tuning, tuning around, you know, radio stations in the neighborhood, and, and uh, there's Michael Savage's voice. And he's talking about, and I, I mentioned this a couple of days ago, but I think it's, it's worth repeating. Because it's it's, it's, this is actually a big deal. He's talking about how class action attorneys are like the scum of the earth. Now, class action attorneys only represent consumers when they've been ripped off by very large companies. So you get these people who represent themselves as conservatives. Open it back up again. Okay, you get these people who represent themselves as conservatives, who pretend that they that they care about the average person. And I'm not speaking specifically of Michael Savage here. I, this is a, this is a, a you know, industry-wide uh, problem. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, uh, you know, industry-wide, politics-wide. You get Republican politicians saying things like this. You get talk show hosts saying things like this. That, you know, just pro with no evidence. I mean, when I, when I lay out for you on this program, things like saying, you know, okay, uh, the Republicans don't care if your for-profit college is ripping you off. If I just said it like that, that would just be, you know, an unsupported statement. Just like a right-wing talk show host saying that uh, the, you know, class action lawsuit attorneys are the, are the scum of the earth. I, yeah, I'm not sure that Savage used that expression specifically, but um, he, was, he was trashing them. And, and again, like I said, I don't mean to pick on Michael Savage. He's actually a very, very competent uh, talk show host on, on the other side, of course. But he, you know, he, he, he does what he does very well. And, and perhaps, therefore, all the more the danger. But, but you know, all that said, when I lay something like this out, I back it up. Here's, here's the rule. Here's the regulation. You know, this, this, the, there was a regulation in place that was put into place during the Obama administration that said if you're going to run a for-profit college and you're going to get federal funds, you have to demonstrate that you're, that you're actually helping people. And the Republicans actually did away with that rule. And I'm not seeing that kind of thing when I, when I look at Breitbart or when I look at Fox so-called news or when I listen to right-wing hate radio. I'm, I'm just not... I'm not hearing facts. I'm hearing, you know, these, these weird kind of standalone opinions and things. And it's, it's, it's you know, I, I played the clip the other day of FDR uh, talking about Hitler and, and saying, you know, never, never use a small lie when a big one will do, right? Because by the very fantastic nature of the big lie, People will figure, oh, I couldn't just be making that up. I mean, that's just too weird. And this is how it goes.
So anyhow, we'll be back with your calls and more of the news of the day right after this. Welcome back. Tom Harvard here with you. And uh, it seems that we've got a problem with our phone company this morning, but I'm not sure. We might be able to take one call at a time. Dan in Prairie Duchesne, Wisconsin. Dan, can you hear me? Yes. Hey, you're on the air. What's on your mind today? Yesterday on the local news, it was not the guy with a name from this town. It was a unidentified, more professional voice. And he said during the news that the uh, Christopher Steele dossier, most of which has been unfounded, is a Hillary Clinton scandal. And I don't think that's true, is it? That well, it, it's been unfounded. Yeah, you, you, I'm guessing you have a Sinclair TV station. <laughs> I called someone who knows the local scene, and he says it's two angry fellas from a next-door county. Yeah. Well, the, here, here's the situation as, as I understand it. The, the uh, uh, Fusion GPS is the, the company, I believe, is the name of the company in Washington, D.C., that does these kinds of opposition research investigations. Um, they were hired by a Republican in, uh, to, to, to do this opposition research on Donald Trump. When Trump won the, the Republican nomination, the research was not yet completed, and Fusion GPS went to the Clinton campaign and said, hey, you know, a Republican commissioned this, we're halfway into it, look at all the cool stuff we found, you want us to finish the job, give us some more money. And the Clinton campaign or the DNC or both said, sure, here's some money, finish the job. They finished the job, the report was written, and, uh, you know, and then, uh, and, and apparently the Clinton campaign tried to leak this thing to the press for some time before the election without success. And, uh, and, and it made it into the, into the press after January. But, you know, that, whether that's, a, I don't see that as a scandal. I mean, you know, the opposition research is a normal thing that both parties do all the time. Well, what struck me is he said most of which has been proven unfounded. Because the things that they're talking about, so far, they have been. Yeah, my understanding of what's in that Steele document is that the most salacious stuff, the, the, the story that Donald Trump hired a couple of hookers to pee in the bed that, that Barack Obama and, and, and Michelle Obama had slept in um, uh, previously, that uh, in order to desecrate the bed or something, you know, and, and to insult the Obamas, that's the most salacious thing that's in there, as far as I know. And that has not been demonstrated. There's, there's no evidence of that. But a lot of the other things, a lot of the other claims made in that document have been proven, and none of the ones that have not been proven have been disproven. So the, the state of the Steele document right now is that parts of it have been demonstrated to be true. No parts of it have yet been demonstrated to be untrue, but there are some, some substantial and, and consequential parts of it that have not yet been demonstrated to be true or untrue. So that's where it's at. Dan, thank you for the call. I'm, I'm, you know, it's pretty remarkable. So now we have we have one line right now. <laughs> so one line is open if you want to call in. Uh, the uh, there's a bunch of other things in the news though that I want to get into as well. This is uh, Texas. Uh, this is from uh, Aon Higgins over at the Intercept, and the theintercept.com is the website. And the headline: Hundreds face conspiracy charges for actions of a few during Inauguration Day protests. This concerns me tremendously, that there's, there's something very fundamentally 
wrong with the way our criminal justice system is being used by this administration to suppress dissent. And if this continues and if this expands, this is one of the most frightening things, in my opinion, that's happening right now. And it's getting virtually no press because it's not affecting, you know, high-end journalists. It's not affecting multimillionaire uh, television presenters. It's not affecting the, the, you know, the big media. It's affecting some local and smaller independent journalists, in this case, Alexi Wood, who's a Texas independent photojournalist uh, that uh, they, the, the Intercept starts this story off with. This person goes to Washington, D.C. to document the protests against Trump. And there were about 200, 200 and some odd people, a little over 200 people, who were coming down L Street around 12th Street. And this was, you know, our studios in D.C. are on 14th Street at L. So, I mean, literally right across the street from us, we were watching the crowd go down there. We could see the, you know, and they broke a half a dozen windows. But what happened was that the police kettled these folks. They, they chased a bunch of people down one street one way, and then they started coming up the, you know, the other street the other way to block them in, to herd them in. And the, the consequence of that was that the small number of people who were breaking windows, and it was probably a half a dozen or a dozen people, got caught up along with the 200 or so people who were in their vicinity. Who were, and many of them, several of them were journalists who were just documenting what was going on. That was certainly the case with Alexi Wood. But all 200 plus of these people were indiscriminately arrested. Not, you know, there was no, hey, you, we, you know, I've got a witness who saw you break a window, or I've got, you know, or I've got videotape of you, you know, uh, uh, well, I give us breaking windows was pretty much the beginning and end of it all. And, and that was it. So, but all 200 people have been charged with not only felonies, but they're looking at 70 years in prison. Seven zero, 70 years in prison. Just for being there. There's nine defendants right now who are facing that. And, and all the, the, the 200 remaining ones also could be facing this. And the, the, the government's is not differentiating between actors and bystanders because what they're, what they're prosecuting under is conspiracy laws. It, in some places in the United States, in fact, in most places in the United States, it, if, you commit a, if you conspire to commit a misdemeanor, you have committed a felony. The conspiracy itself is a felony, even though the, the crime is a misdemeanor. Well, in this case, the crime, you know, smashing windows is arguably a felony as well. But what the government is saying here is that the people who smashed the windows and the people who happened to be in the vicinity were collaborating in a conspiracy to smash those windows. In other words, anyone in the vicinity was implicitly supporting the actions of the people who were smashing the windows. I don't think that that will win in court. I don't think it'll hold up. I think this is an attempt at intimidation. But you never know, because the, 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 the right-wingers, I mean, the, the Federalist Society, now has, I believe, more than half of all federal judgeship positions are now filled with Federalist Society members, with hardcore right-wing judges. And so, you know, it's entirely possible that they're actually going to do this thing. Wood, this is the photojournalist who's facing 70 years. By the way, if you murder somebody in Washington, D.C., you walk up to somebody in the street and shoot them in the head and they're dead, you're facing 30 years. 
That's the minimum penalty for murder in Washington, D.C. This journalist is facing 70 years. Wood went to Washington, quoting from The Intercept, Wood went to Washington to document that discontent, he told The Intercept, a full-time freelance photojournalist for the past three years. Wood's work has a focus on resistance movements. He left his home in San Antonio, Texas, to travel to Washington and report on events around the inauguration. I was there to document whatever happened, Wood said, adding that he had no idea of any planned actions. He live-streamed the protests on his phone, and he recorded them on a separate video camera. And uh, they locked him up, and it was 36 hours after they locked him up that they charged him with a felony, which just typically does not happen. Typically, Washington, D.C. is very tolerant of protest. But the government, using this conspiracy law, uh, the ACLU, a lawyer for the ACLU, a fellow by the name of uh, Kisnick, said, under the law of conspiracy, people agree to commit unlawful acts and form a group based on that agreement. And then if they commit unlawful acts and furtherance of the agreement, they can be held liable for the acts of the entire group. And that is exactly what is happening here. And he says, I don't know what kind of mental gymnastics. This is uh, uh, one of the lawyers, a fellow by the name of Cohen. He says, I don't know what kind of mental gymnastics they're going to have to perform in the courtroom to make that seem reasonable. You could murder somebody. If somebody walked into downtown D.C., pulled a gun out, shot a cop in the head, and you get less time than what these people are facing. He says, there are, were approximately 200 people facing 70 years going to trial for six broken windows. This is insane. The protesters were not even given an order to disperse. So, I've, you know, for, for many years, I've pointed out that in totalitarian regimes, in authoritarian regimes, the principal agent of control over the people is, is, this, is, the, is, is the so-called rule of law. And what you do is you pass laws that, most, that, that cause most people to be lawbreakers. This was, I mean, th this is not a new thing in America, right? Vagrancy laws, loitering laws, spitting on the street, crossing the street, jaywalking laws. These have been used against people of color in this country for hundreds of years. So basically, everybody is a criminal if the police decide they're a criminal. Because, hey, you're standing on the street corner. You're loitering. That's against the law. You're going to jail. Oh, you don't want to go to jail? Now you're resisting arrest. Now you're facing a felony. I mean, we've been using these things forever against people of color. And I guess, you know, now that they're being used against white protesters, white people are freaking out. We should all have been freaking out all along when they were being used against largely, exclusively people of color and hippies and protesters back in the day, even then, you know, more recently. But this is a bad development for a democracy. Everybody's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that one of the most powerful superfoods you can put into your body is beets? They're loaded with an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to eat a pile of beets every day? Not me. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful, concentrated superfood drink, Superbeets. Only Superbeets is made from beets grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Superbeets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthier circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Superbeats for free, plus indicator strips to see how Superbeats is working for you, and free shipping. 
So call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. That's 800-568-9889, tomsbeats.com on the interwebs. Did you see this thing? I was surprised that this didn't get more coverage, and I have kind of mixed feelings about this. Tesla, you know, Elon Musk's company, Tesla has turned the power back on at a children's hospital in Puerto Rico. And this is, this is no small thing. I mean, they, they uh, out in the parking lot of the hospital, they laid out hundreds of solar panels. They brought in some batteries. Uh, they fired the thing up, and they're running a hospital right now. And in, in San Juan, it's the uh, Hospital del Nino, the children's hospital. And Elon Musk says this is the first of many solar plus battery Tesla projects going live in Puerto Rico. Well, that's a great thing. You know, hey, let's rebuild the infrastructure. Let's put the country back together in a way that actually is sustainable. That seems like a very good thing. Except that, is this disaster capitalism? Is this, is this businesses taking advantage of a disaster in order to promote their own thing on the one hand, right? You know, there's the whole thing that, Naomi Klein pointed out in, in uh, well, in several of her books. Uh, or is this an example of a company meeting an unmet need? You know, is it just, hey, hey, you know, is, is Tesla is the right company at the right time at the right place? I'm inclined to, to be less cynical and more, you know, give, give them the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, this, this could be a really good thing. This could be a really good thing for Puerto Rico. The, the thing that baffles me the most about it, though, I think this is a really big story, right? I mean, you know, a, a, a solar company, you know, while, while Ryan Zinke and Donald Trump are trying to get hundreds of millions of dollars and no-bid contracts to, Ryan, to old friends of uh, Ryan Zinke's, apparently, people from Whitefish, Montana, the Whitefish Company, while that, like, you know, and, and, and that contractor is, is uh, you know, charging our government are charging the government of Puerto Rico two, three hundred dollars an hour for the workers that they're bringing in. I guarantee you, they're not paying those workers two, three hundred dollars an hour. That's what they're charging for their labor. Just like you know, just like the the same thing in in uh, Iraq, they were charging a half million dollars a year for labor, and they were paying they were paying their private contractors a hundred thousand a year. Nice profit there. Same thing going on here. So so in an you know while that is getting a lot of the publicity, I think the, the, the good news story is getting none. Is that because Tesla and Elon Musk are arguably at the forefront of the fight to, to, you know, to, to, to make things work in this country and to, 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 to solarize our nation? When Germany decided that they didn't want to build any more nuclear power plants, they put together a very simple, straightforward program. They wanted to, they wanted, they had, they knew that they needed to build two new nuclear power plants, two new gigawatt, you know, two gigawatt, they needed two, two billion watts of power, two gigawatts of power. They needed two new nuclear power plants to supply the electricity needs of the country. And yet they didn't want to build nuclear because Chernobyl had happened. And, you know, the Germans are pretty broadly opposed to nuclear power. So what did they do? They, they came up with this system where they said the utilities, first of all, 
the government would backstop the banks in loaning at a 2% interest rate, a very low interest rate, and loaning money to homeowners so that they could solarize their houses on a 10-year, basically a mortgage. So it costs, you say, 500 bucks a month for 10 years to solarize your house because you've got this 10-year payout for the, for the process. And the bank has no risk because the government's backstopping that. And then they said to the utility companies, you, because the amount of money that the utility companies would have had to set aside to build these two nuclear power plants was equal to seven times the cost of electricity for a decade because they expect to make it back over far more than a decade, right? So, so they said to the utility companies, for the first 10 years that somebody has solar panels on their roof, you have to pay them seven times the normal price of electricity for all the surplus electricity that they're pouring into your grid. And the utility companies were fine with that because at the end of 10 years, they're back down to only paying the actual price of electricity in the marketplace. And they now have millions, billions of additional watts of power in these solar roofs all over Germany. The original goal was to do 100,000 rooftops and, and equal the amount of power from two nuclear power plants. They had to stop the program after seven or eight years because they had hit the point where they had more than 12 times the power that they needed. They had, they, they were, people were loving this program. It didn't cost the government anything. It didn't cost the banks anything. It was, it was profitable for the companies that were making the solar panels, which is a good thing, a fine thing. In fact, Germany's making those now, you know, domestic, domestic products. But there was no downside for anybody. Homeowners, you know, upgrade the value of their house. I mean, everybody won. And they, they had to stop the program because so much electricity was being generated that they had to pause it to upgrade the grid, to turn it into a smart grid, to be able to transfer all this energy all over the place, which is, which is what they've been doing for the last two years in Germany and doing it brilliantly. You've got countries all over the world that are developing all these innovative programs, you know, Denmark, Norway, uh, even parts of Australia. I mean, really innovative stuff. And the Trump administration doesn't want any of that happening in the United States. And Tesla goes into Puerto Rico and says, hey, we can turn the power back on. You just have to wonder, you know, what, the, what, what, what is the Republicans' goal here? Is it, is it just to enrich their fat cat friends? Or are they actually trying to take down our nation? We'll be back with more after this. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And I think that we've got our phones working now, by the way, just to FYI, if uh, there's anything on your mind you wanted to call in about. And we've already got this one topic on the table, essentially, which is, um, you know, what is Trump up to and what concerns you about it? But there's, there's another topic. That, actually, there's a bunch of topics here that I wanted to share with you. This, this one, though, I, this is fascinating. And I'm not quite sure what to make of this one either. Uh, you know, not unlike a, my, my conversation just before the break. Uh, Amazon is offering a new service. They call it the Amazon Key. And what you do is... Uh, from from my understanding of of this program by reading about the, this article in Business Insider by Dennis Green that, that lays it out, is that you you buy a, a camera, a, a security camera and a smart lock from Amazon, which starts 
uh, according to this article, at around $250. And you replace your front door lock with this smart lock and, and, and camera combination or something like that. And when Amazon's delivery person comes to your house to deliver something, if you're not there, they, they, they let Amazon know, and Amazon remotely unlocks your front door so that the delivery person can open the door, set the package inside, and close the door. And the camera's on while this happens. And then once the door is closed, Amazon remotely relocks your front door. And they're apparently also marketing your house being openable during the business day when you're not home to other companies. Because according to this article, they've already cut a deal with Merry Maids where the Merry Maid franchise can come to your house and clean your house and they can get in and leave through the Amazon key. Now, Amazon also, and Amazon's not unique in this. I mean, you've got the Google version of this. You've got the Apple version of this. You've got a Microsoft version of this. Um, Amazon also has a speaker and a microphone that you can put in your house. The Amazon Dot, the Amazon Echo, uh, as, as I recall it's called, where you just say, uh, you know, uh, Alexis, what's, you know, play some Chuck Berry for me or, you know, whatever it may be. And boom, it's, there it goes which is increasingly raising questions about privacy. You know, how do Americans understand privacy? What do we think is privacy? And, and where are we going with this? I mean, if we're moving toward a society where we have higher levels of trust, and yeah, sure, I'm, I got no problem letting the Amazon delivery person, you know, open my front door and stick a box inside the door. Uh, you know, if that's, if that's how we're thinking, you, know, you could argue that that's a societal benefit, that that's a good and healthy thing. Hey, you know, we're, we're, we're less afraid of each other. On the other hand, if this is just, you know, if this is another marketing opportunity from a smart company that's figured out some trends, you know, what people want, what people don't want, what people are afraid of and not afraid of, you know, then, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Hey, if they're offering a service that people want, I think you can build a case that that's a good thing. But increasingly, I mean, you know, well, Nest is another example of it. You've got, you've got this company that you put your, your, their thermostat in your house and the thermostat keeps track of where you are and when you are and what you do and it learns your habits, which is really convenient. Hey, my thermostat now controls my house based on my own behaviors. Except that it's also presumably gathering that information and making it available to others. So, you know, I don't know if Nest is doing this specifically, but there's, they're not the only company that is offering, hey, we'll help monitor your house services. And at what point do they start selling that to people who want to do, for example, telemarketing? Yeah, he's home now, you can call him. Or door to door, you know, and when do the Jehovah's Witnesses start buying these lists? Frankly, I doubt it'll be the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's far more likely it's going to be a political party, a political candidate, or a corporation. Somebody who's got the money. Somebody who's got a lot of money to make this happen. So your thoughts. Do you, do you think, you know, would you, would you want to let, you know, to open your door and let people in? What is, what, you know, what's the equation here? Okay, a few other things in the news as well. 
this new eight-year study. This uh, Darjamal uh, Darjamal is writing about this for uh, in yesterday's edition of Truthout.org. And the recently published biological impacts of ocean acidification report. This is an eight-year-long study involving 250 scientists who are looking at what happens when carbon dioxide is absorbed by the ocean. And the, the simple reality is that at the, the vast majority of the CO2 that we have emitted into the atmosphere has not remained in the atmosphere. It's been absorbed by the ocean. Something like 90% of the heat and the carbon dioxide is going into the oceans. And when carbon dioxide gets absorbed by the ocean, it does the same thing that carbon dioxide absorbed by fizzy water does. It converts to carbonic acid. This is, this is you know, one of the reasons why if you put a tooth in a, in a can of soda, it'll, it'll disintegrate. Carbonic acid is very acidic. And you know, carbon, car, carbonic acid takes out calcium, basically. And calcium is what is the, 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 the stock of, of the outer shells of, of these you know, sea creatures. The research shows that all sea life will be affected by the increasing acidification. Just one example, the number of baby cod that grow into full adulthood could fall anywhere from one quarter to one twelfth of today's numbers. And this is, you know, fish have, have calcium in their, in their bodies too. So this is lowering the pH of, of, uh, of seawater. The bioacid project shows that since the dawn of the Industrial Revolution, the pH of the surface water of Earth's oceans has dropped from 8.2 to 8.1. That's a 26% increase in acidity. pH, like, like uh, audio and, and most radiation things, pH is measured on a scale that is uh, logarithmic, not, not linear. So a one-tenth. Uh, change is a substantial, a very substantial change. And they're talking about the corals and how they're taken out, how everything is taken out. Another, another recently released study, Thresholds of Catastrophe in the Earth System, this is in Science Magazine, published in the prestigious journal Science Advances, showed that if humans continue to add CO2 to the atmosphere and oceans, a global mass extinction event could be triggered by 2100. Some of scientists believe that we're already in a global mass extinction environment. Uh, they're calling this the Anthropocene. 85% of our global fish stocks are either overexploited, depleted, fully exploited, or in recovery from exploitation. Large areas of the seabed in the North Sea and the Mediterranean have long since resembled deserts. 90% of all large fish are now gone from our oceans. Nine, zero. Ninety percent. This is... This is, uh, you know, this is, by the way, this is the uh, project Bioacid uh, is based in Germany. They're looking at, at sea life all over the world, and it's dying off. We are killing our oceans. Now, people think, hey, you know, we're, we're land mammals, right? doesn't matter if we kill off our oceans. Actually, it does matter big time if we kill off our oceans. It's a huge big deal because we kill off us eventually if we do. We'll be back with more with your calls. Now the phones are working. We'll be back with your calls and more right after this. Stick around. Welcome back. Tom Arvin here with you. Marty in Evergreen Park, Illinois. Hey, Marty, can you hear me? Hey. hey yeah, I can hear you just fine, Tom. Okay, great. What's up? 
Excellent. Hey, I just wanted to um, share your concern about, um, you know, Internet of Things devices. Um, you know, we have very valid reason uh, not to be trusting having so many of these devices uh, in our house, communicating through the network, um, doing things, you know, that we don't even have any idea. But um, what I was going to share, I shared with your call screener, um, if you YouTube anatomy of an IoT attack, um, the first link that comes up is a really cool video that Cisco put out. It's only a few minutes long, but shows how this uh, one guy was basically able to bring down a company by uh, um, a compromised thermostat uh, in one uh, in one company's network and was able to do a port scan and figure out everything else that was in the network and steal proprietary information and basically bring down a company. Um, so we have very valid reasons to be very concerned about having a so many of these in our house and out in the wild. Yeah. What's a what's an IoD attack? Um, okay, so an Internet of Things, right? The, those are devices oh, IoT. that we don't... Okay. Yeah, IoT stands for Internet of Things. Right. Um, but just, you know, that includes things like an Amazon Dot or Echo or Nest thermostats or, you know, there's even... Um, there's even crockpots that you can communicate through the Internet with. So, you know, we have all of these things out there that are all, you know, that form a connection, and the TCP transfer control protocol says if I ask you who you are, you have to reply back and tell me who you are. You know, it's like Marco Polo. You know, you right. say, hey, who are you? And you give away your, you give away, you know, who you are and where you are, you know, just with a simple request. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and the question, I guess, is, you know, I, as we move toward this kind of Blade Runner world where, where you know, you've got a, a giant, giant corporation, in the case of Blade Runner, multiple corporations in the case of the reality of the United States right now, but not a lot. You know, fewer than probably 200 corporations basically control the vast majority of the economic activity in this country and, and have mind-boggling amounts of information about us. In fact, that is the new currency, is information. I mean, it's down to the point where, where political campaigns are now able to, to, to not just say, you know, give me all the women 25 to 50. They can say, give me, you know, Jane Doe. Give me this particular person. Uh, because, you know, we've got all this detailed information on this particular person from their, their shopping history to their browsing history to, you know, their, their, uh, you know, their, their employment uh, habits and behaviors and all these other things. And, you know, at, at what point do we cease to become anything other than just cogs in the wheel, just consumers? You know, what, what happened to citizenship? What happened to participation in democracy? Have we, have we, have we reached that stage that de Tocqueville warned us about in, in Democracy in America, uh, where he talked about this vast tutelary power, you know, crushing, gently crushing the spirit of Americans? Um, it seems to me that maybe we have, and it concerns me. Anyhow, Marty, thank you for the call. Well said. You're very creative. Let me share with you some more news of the day. This, there, there's still a lot of interesting stuff going on in the world. And uh, this has to do with the Georgia election, you know, where uh, uh, Karen Handel beat John Ossoff in Georgia. Turns out uh, there are some people who are saying, you know, those computers that were used in that election in Georgia, they produce no paper trail whatsoever. They can't be audited. They're totally black box. You have no way of knowing, you know, that the machine actually recorded your vote accurately. 
And then there's this main server that controls all the data that decides that, you know, all the, all the machines report to it. And then it says, okay, Karen Handel won the election. Well, there is a lawsuit in Georgia. And the, in, in this lawsuit, they said, you know, we would like to know the status of these servers. And thus we get this article from the Hawaii Tribune Herald. It's actually an Associated Press story. It's, it's in papers all over the country. Uh, it's by Frank Bajak of the Associated Press. And he writes, a computer server crucial to a lawsuit against Georgia election officials was quietly wiped clean by its custodians just after the suit was filed, the Associated Press has learned. The server's data was destroyed July 7th by technicians at the Center for Election Systems at Kennesaw State University, which runs the state's election system. The data wipe was revealed in an email sent last week from an assistant state attorney general to plaintiffs in the case, which was obtained by the AP. And uh, this, you know, the lawsuit wanted to point out to Georgia that their machines are insecure. The server in question, which served as a statewide staging location for key election-related data, made national headlines in June after a security expert disclosed a gaping security hole that wasn't fixed six months after he reported it to election authorities. It's not clear who ordered the service data irretrievably erased. But the Kennesaw Election Center answers directly to Brian Kemp, who's Georgia's Secretary of State and a Republican who's planning on running for governor next year. And uh, gee, if you're the guy, who, the Secretary of State, the guy who oversees the voting machines, and you're gonna be running for governor next year, and you've got corruptible or corrupted voting machines, you might want to kind of keep them until you win the next election, right? Especially if the people in the state are starting to say, you know, we're getting sick and tired of these damn Republicans. The, the server data, the Associated Press writes, or Frank Bajak for the Associated Press writes, the server data could have revealed whether Georgia's most recent elections were com compromised by malicious hackers. The plaintiffs contend that the results of both last November's election and a special June 20th congressional election, that's Asaf Handel, cannot be trusted. And they're citing everything from, you know, Russian interference in U.S. politics to uh, Republicans hacking their own machines. Marilyn Marks, executive director of the Coalition for Good Governance, a plaintiff, believes the server data was erased precisely because the system isn't secure. She said, I don't think you can find a voting system expert who would think the deletion of the server data was anything less than insidious and highly suspicious. Although uh, a former Georgia prosecutor, T. Tom Morgan, says eh, this is not a criminal act unless it's in violation of a protective court order, and there wasn't one. The FBI, you know, the, the question is, will they bring the FBI in? Maybe not. A 140-page collection of Kennesaw State emails obtained Friday by the Coalition for Good, Good Government via an open record search details the destruction of the data on all three servers and a partially and ultimately ineffective effort by Kennesaw State and system engineers to fix the main server's security hole. As a result of the failed effort, sensitive data on Georgia's 6.7 million voters, including social security number, party affiliation, and birthdays, as well as passwords used by county officials to access election management files, remained exposed for months. Uh, this, this fellow by the name of Lamb, Logan Lamb is his name. He's an Atlanta security researcher. He's the one who discovered this hole. 
and informed the Republican uh, running the elections for Georgia at the time, hey, you know, I can hack your system. Anybody can hack your system. Your system's wide open. You ought to do something about it. So he laid this out, and six months later, they had done nothing. Why would they do nothing? If they knew that, they, why would the Republicans in Georgia not respond to somebody pointing out to them that their, their election systems are easily hacked? Could it be because they've already hacked them themselves? Could it be that the Republicans don't think Democrats know how to hack computers? Could it be the Democrats don't know how to hack computers? I mean, what's going on here? But the Associated Press is, is reporting on this. I, I doubt it'll see any coverage at all on television media. Because this is not like, you know, hey, uh, you've got, uh, uh, you know, people voting twice. You know, this is not a Chris Kobach story. This is an anti-Chris Kobach story. Anyhow, back with more of the news of the day. Your calls. We're going to check out we talk media news, too. Stick around. Everyone's talking about superfoods, those nutritionally dense foods that are especially beneficial to your health. Did you know that beets are one of the most important superfoods you can put in your body? They're loaded with important, an important nutrient that increases your blood flow, which increases your energy. But who wants to be, eat a pile of beets every day? Not most people. But now you can get the energy benefits of beets in a powerful concentrated superfood drink, Super Beets. Only Super Beets is made from crystals grown to exacting standards, then concentrated into superfood crystals. Super Beets promotes the body's own natural ability to produce healthy circulation for increased energy and stamina all day long. So if you want the benefits of a powerful superfood, call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com. With your first order, get another 30-day supply of Super Beats for free, plus indicator strips to see how Super Beats is working for you. And free shipping. Call 800-568-9889 or go to tomsbeats.com today. That's 800-568-9889, the website tomsbeats.com. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. And on the line with us, Dr. Richard Wolf, the economist, co-founder of Democracy at Work, author most recently of Capitalism, Cri Capitalism's Crisis Deepens, essay on the global economic meltdown, uh, website democracyatwork.info or rdwolf with two fs.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Tom. Glad to be here. Great having you with us. Um, we have the uh, Prime Minister of New Zealand talking about capitalism failing. We have uh, these, uh, you know, and, and concern about that. Um, but uh, more importantly, we've got these, this whole tax cut thing coming down out of the Republicans. And uh, it, A, it doesn't seem to have a lot of demand from the American people, but B, it does from the donor class. Um, and therefore, probably something will happen. How, how, what is... When, when our democracy is controlled and defined by the major players in our economy, uh, first of all, what is that called? And secondly, would you agree with my characterization that that is what's happening? Yes, I would agree with it 100%. If, if I could go over 100%, I'd come up with that. Um, it is unbelievable for me to, to watch it. Uh, there's a headline in today's paper that the Koch brothers are contributing big bucks to defeat a, a senator in Wisconsin, a Democrat, uh, because that senator seems to stand in the way of the tax cuts that the Koch brothers will benefit from uh, 10 different ways. I mean, that's as naked as you could possibly be. Uh, the Koch brothers are among the 10 or 20 richest people in the United States and are free in our system to use that money 
to get uh, the taxes adjusted so they can become even richer than they already are, since they seem driven uh, in a kind of Midas-touch manner uh, to this kind of behavior. And I think, if, if, I, if you allow me a moment, I think there is the key, in a sense. This is a system that is spinning out of control. It doesn't want to look at the social consequences of what it is doing, the pursuit of advantage, of wealth, uh, of removing any government limits on the pursuit of wealth is just being pushed forward as an unquestionable desideratum of what everybody's doing in, in the economic system. And it is producing uh, unspeakable social division and social suffering. And it doesn't take a genius or a doomsday uh, person to say that this is not a sustainable arrangement probably in any society over a long period of time, but especially not in the United States, which until recently liked to boast that capitalism was raising up the entire middle class. Everybody now knows that isn't true, but it doesn't seem to affect the onward rush uh, of making more money no matter what the cost is. Yeah, it's, you know, to, to take a, a cue from the title of your most recent book, Capitalism's Crisis Deepens, um, to what extent is the lack of regulation a crisis for capitalism? And to what extent is that crisis of capitalism a crisis of democracy? And, and, and uh, you know, just it, it seems like this. Well, I'll just leave that question as it stands. Well, you know, I don't think it's a crisis of capitalism in this sense. Uh, given the way the system works, given the idea that every producer of goods and services is supposed to drive ever forward to maximize profits under the crazy belief that if all the businesses are maximizing profits in some magical way, this will all work out so we live in the best of all possible worlds for everybody. In this crazy idea, uh, you have a capitalism doing its thing and I think that can go on for a long amount of time, uh, at least so long as the victims, the mass of people in trouble, uh, don't stop it. Regulation has always come, always in American history, when the victims of how capitalism has been working become so numerous and so embittered that they will finally rise up and make it happen. I mean, let me give you a couple of examples. Every one of the 50 states in this country has an insurance commission. Why? Because the insurance industry, left to its own devices, ripped everybody off for premiums that they couldn't tolerate, and the end result was a demand for commissions. Every state has a utility commission. Why? Because the gas and oil and the telephone and electric companies usually having monopolies in a particular area, were able to rip everybody off. The antitrust operations of the United States government were pushed a century or more ago because big companies becoming monopolies were ripping everybody off. I mean, the message here is that regulation is the uh, effort after the fact to limit, to constrain uh, this kind of spinning out of control because even if capitalism can keep going into greater and greater inequality, 
the larger society within which the capitalist system has to function may not be willing to go along, and therein lies really serious social conflict, social explosions, revolutions, and all of that. And what is so remarkable about the time we're living in is that you're having the rush forward of an unrestrained capitalism busily deregulating what little regulations are left and therefore waltzing itself into the exact same unsustainable, dangerous social conditions uh, that we've seen in the past. But all of this happening as if there was no past, was no history, was no problem. We just go ahead and do all of this and let the rich make the laws they want. It, it's extraordinary to watch. Uh, and maybe the whole hope of the, re the Democratic Party is that this thing blows itself up and that they will then cash in the chips when everyone gets disgusted with, with where this has taken. Well, that's exactly what happened in the 20s. It's a very dangerous way to, to do politics in a society working this way. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what happened in the 20s. We have just a, just a minute left before we're going to hit a hard break here, uh, Professor. I, I, I've always used the metaphor of football. You know, if you had a football game and, and, the, and, the, and the, you know, one team got, you know, got to, you know, start at the 10-yard line and the other team got to start at the 40-yard line or something like that, you know, or if the rules were different depending on who had the most money or the, the referees have been corrupted. I mean, is that a reasonable uh, analogy? Yes, and, and you know, uh, I circulate here in New York City where I live and work among people who are in the 1%. And if you have a, a conversation with them, they will tell you that's what business in their line of work requires them to do. And they sometimes say it with a kind of wistful, wishing it weren't so, but that's the way this system works. And if they're not going to be eaten up by it, well, then they have to play the game. And the end result, they say, sometimes with real chagrin, is what we're living through. So the deregulation is, is the consequence of the corruption, and then the deregulation leads to more corruption. We're in a, exactly. we're in a downward spiral, right? It's a self-reinforcing self spiral. You make greater inequality. That allows the rich to have influence on the system so they can milk it for even more inequality, and it just feeds on itself. But that's what happened in the 20s. Has this, has this kind of a cycle ever been interrupted by anything other than a great crash? Yeah, it's been interrupted by a, by a revolution, by people getting so angry at the wrong end of this system, oh. the short end of the stick. Russia in 1916. Yes. Yeah, amazing. Okay, Dr. Richard Wolff, economist, co-founder of Democracy at Work, author most recently of Capitalism's Crisis Deepens Essays on the Global Economic Meltdown. Professor, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you, Tom. Look forward to talking with you again. Me too. Great talking with you. We'll be back.